Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady herself, Susan J. Elliott. Hello, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and this is part B of the Narcissistic Personality Disorder for Mean Lady Talking Podcast, episode 47. Yes, we're getting up there. We're getting up there. We're getting up there. Okay, so we have a couple of things. We have a Facebook group for if you are dealing with the aftermath of a breakup with the personality disordered and it's a gpyb subgroup so we do the gpyb program but it is called recovering from the aftermath of a breakup with the personality disordered the group is at www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash personality disordered all one word shannon is the my awesome comod and there's some questions that you have to answer when you go in there please remember to answer them and i'm going to give you the dsm criteria of narcissistic personality disorder okay so the dsm5 narcissistic personality disorder okay a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration and lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. Now there's nine criteria and they have to show five or more. One has a, a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as a superior without commensurate achievements. So they want you to think that they're superior, even though they haven't done anything that's going to prove to you that they are superior. They're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or associate with other special or high status people. And many times they'll say, oh, I know such and such, you know, some famous person. I know such and such. We're friends or whatever. And they're not really friends. Or they're, we're best friends. Yeah, no, you're not. Four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement, i.e. unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Six, is interpersonally exploitative, i.e. takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own end. Seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Eight, is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. Nine, shows arrogant, haughty behavior or attitudes. So that is the NPD. And the NPD has a sense of entitlement that's tantamount to being royalty or celebrity. And it's reflected in this criterion. But they have this outgoing bubbly personality when they're an overt narcissist. There's covert narcissists that are not as bubbly. And we talked about this with the Chris Watts stuff. But 
for the MPD, many times their partner reports that their needs are over, their partner's needs are overwhelming. Therapists report this. And I studied some of the reports of therapists who have treated or attempted to treat NPDs. And they always said that they were overwhelmed by the needs of their client and that they were always afraid, even before they were warned that NPDs tend to lodge more ethical complaints than anybody else. There's such a low percentage of them in therapy, but there's a high percentage of them in people who have sued their therapy. Now, one of the ways that they distinguish narcissistic personality disorder from sociopath antisocial personality disorder is usually when the person gets to adulthood and they're a sociopath they've had a conduct disorder they've had something in their past they've had behavioral problems usually the narcissist doesn't always have behavioral problems or not serious behavioral problems by the time they get to be an adult. Covert narcissists tend not to have behavioral problems in the past, but many overt ones will have behavioral problems, but they don't rise to the level of a conduct disorder like it does with sociopaths. Most sociopaths have a conduct disorder, diagnosed or undiagnosed in their past. So anyway, in the first part, I told you that my husband first showed me a lot of the NPD side of him after my second son was born. I was really shocked. I was really surprised that he was down on me as much as he was. I really thought that I was a good mother. And when he said I was too good of a mother, I was shattered. I really was because I still had this expectation that there was something I could do to make him see that I was a good partner. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is how he cycled through very, very quickly. And this wasn't normal. Normally, these things would happen over a period of time. Each one of these would happen. But I was thinking about this one day and I realized that he cycled through quite quickly. We had been down at his mother's house and I know that we had all of our kids at the time because I remember where we were living because that's actually part of the story. We're living on 90 Chapin Avenue in Providence, Rhode Island. And we were living and it was a a mixed neighborhood. It was a gentrifying neighborhood. And I always wanted, he grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in the Bronx and we both always wanted our kids to grow up in racially mixed neighborhoods. I did not want to raise three white boys in a white neighborhood. And I told my husband that, and he agreed. And since we were teenagers, I had always been very, very big on no racial slurs, no racist language, no bigoted language, nothing. And I told you that he used to, he was a big joke teller. And I used to, he used to do Italian jokes all the time because he was Italian. He did a million Italian jokes and they were really hilarious, but I would not let him do any African-American jokes, any Hispanic jokes, any Latino jokes. He did some Polish jokes and I was with a Polish guy for a long time and I would actually tell him a couple of the jokes and he thought they were funny, but he would do mostly Italian jokes. But it was one thing that he agreed with me on because ever since we met, I mean, I was 15, we met and any time anybody would do a racist comment or a bigoted comment, or anything like that, I would pipe up and say, nope, it's not okay. And we agreed that we were not, we wanted to raise our kids in mixed neighborhoods, and we also wanted them to have friends of every color, every ethnicity, every religion. And in their early birthday parties, when we had kids over, you could see it was like the United Nations in there. So, so there was that. 
And that was good, but I was sort of driving that train, and I was surprised. I mean, he called me every name in the book, but he never used racial slur the whole time that we were together. And I didn't think that he had any particular heavy feelings about it the way I did. So we're at his mother's house, and VHS, VCR had just come out. Betamax had just come out, of course. They were toy people. They loved their toys. They loved their electronics. So they ran right out and they bought a VHS VCR and a Betamax VCR. They were over $1,000 in Sears. And at the time, we had a Sears credit card. And his stepfather had actually co-signed for us to get our furniture in Sears. And this is when Sears was really terrific, a terrific place to shop and to get electronics and appliances, all kinds of things. And it was our first credit card and we liked having it. So we couldn't believe it. If you're not old enough to remember what it was like to see a movie in your living room that you could just put on anytime you felt like it, for us, this was a big thing. They had gone out and they had friends who had cable TV. So they had gone over there. They had taped a bunch of shows. They brought them back. We sat there. We watched all of these things that they had taped off of people's HBO. I mean, we didn't have HBO. We didn't have anything. We didn't have anything. So we were really, really excited about this. And we had a great time. We, I remember we watched Buddy Hackett. His stand-up, I never knew that he was as dirty as he was. I was laughing. We saw like a whole bunch of them. We couldn't believe it. And we sat there all weekend like watching these movies, these stand-up comedies and things like that. And we were like, our mouths were like hanging open the whole weekend. So on the way home, he says to me, we got to get one of those. And I was like, one of what? Now, I want you to remember this because this was the first time it was raised. He, and it came from his parents. It didn't come from my parents. It would be years before my mother would ever get a VCR. But I said, so we're driving on the way home, me and him and the three kids. And he goes, we should get one of those. I was like, get one of what? And he said, a VCR. I was like, okay. That was it. That was the extent of the conversation. Now, you have to remember that for what happens later. So we go home. Nothing's going on. Nothing bad. Nothing terrible. We're not arguing. We're not fighting. Nothing happened. We had a pretty good weekend. A couple of days goes by. He goes to Sears on his way home one night. And he picks up the VCR and he brings it home and he's he's setting it up and we start watching it and blah 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 and then the next night he comes in with a head full of steam I have no idea what was going on at all and he says to me that machine is going back and I just looked at him and I went what and he said that machine is going back and I said why and he said because you're not buying me what and he says because if we have all these bills hanging over there our head it's going to be a problem. We get divorced. I'm like, divorced? When are we getting divorced? I was always the one who brought up breaking up. When he did his thing after my second son was born, when he did his thing when I wouldn't have an abortion and I had my third pregnancy, I brought up divorce then. I don't know where this fell because I brought up divorce. I actually saw a divorce lawyer twice when we lived in that house. So I don't remember exactly at what point this was, but divorce had not been on the table and I was looking at him like what the hell are you talking about he packs it up and it was like over a thousand dollars and he packs it up puts it in the box he's like this is going back I'm like okay I mean I'm, what am I gonna say and I'm racking my head and racking my head like what happened did I miss something I mean what happened this is everything that I'm telling you typically would happen over a period of time this little switch of his would normally take a few weeks to happen so now he's got a head full of steam and he's pissed and I don't know why he's pissed but he is so I'm just like okie dokie so the next night he brings the VCR back to Sears and he comes back now he hadn't talked to me the rest of the night 
when he told me that he was bringing it back because I wasn't going to buy him. And I'm totally confused. And he wouldn't talk to me for the rest of the night. And then the next day, he's not talking to me. So he packs everything up, brings it to Sears, and then he comes back. Now, normally, when he wasn't speaking to me, he wouldn't speak to me for months. He'd put his wedding ring on his key ring, and he just wouldn't speak to me for months. And I would know he's getting ready to speak to me again when he would put it back on. I had no idea what was going on. So he comes back from Sears and he says to me, guess what happened at Sears? And he says, guess what happened at Sears? Like, we're best friends. I mean, my brain is just splitting. I'm like, what is going on here? But I don't think I was at the point yet in my life where I was asking what is going on here. So he says he went to Sears and in the electronic department, a lot of departments, they had the four glass counters, two long ones, two short ones. And there was a cash register behind, but usually you didn't know exactly which part of the glass to go to because it was just sort of open. Customers could just sort of saunter up to any part of it. So he said that he went there, he had the box under his hand, and there was a guy that was waiting there before him. So the manager, whoever comes in, sees the two guys there, and they're both on opposite sides of the counter, and he starts to wait on my husband. And my husband says to him, why are you waiting on me first? Why aren't you waiting on that gentleman? Because he's black? And the manager was embarrassed and was like, no, 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 no. And he goes, oh, I think that you're being racist, blah, 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 blah. So he's telling me this whole story about how he stuck up for this guy, and he, he shamed the manager and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh. And I thought, because he wasn't really the type who would do something like that, just sort of out of the goodness of his heart. But he knew that I would find that impressive, and I would be really happy that he had done that. But I'm looking at him, like, measure my my response, because, yes, I know that, I care about somebody sticking up for somebody who somebody else is being racist toward. But it seems like just after he has been bitching at me about how he's bringing back the VCR because I'm not buying him. And when we get divorced, this is going to be a bill that he's going to have to pay for and all this other crap. And now he's telling me this wonderful story about how he's stuck up for this black guy knowing that I'm going to really appreciate that story. I just went like, oh, okay, good. You know, that was nice. So one thing that I wanted to mention is when he came home and he told me the story about how he stuck up for this black guy in Sears, I thought, oh my goodness, he's telling me this because he knows that I care about this. That had nothing to do with it. Years later, I was able to realize that the reason he told me about this was because he wanted me to admire him. I was his narcissistic supply. And he had just done something that he was proud of and he wanted the admiration. It had nothing to do with the fact that he knew that I was going to be thrilled that he had stuck up for this black guy. He knew it, absolutely knew it. And... You know, I was feeling really good because we as normal people will interpret things like that. We'll say, oh, wow, like this person really knows that I care about racism and that I don't want to see anybody be the victim of racism. And, oh, you stuck up for that guy? Great. That's terrific. I really thought he was trying to impress me. All he was trying to do was to get some admiration for me. That's all he was trying to do. It had nothing to do with how I felt about racism or anything else. It had to do with, he was saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, admire me, admire me, admire me. At the same time that he's bringing back the machine that he's saying he doesn't want us to have because it's too much money if we get divorced. So at the same time, 
he's saying that he doesn't really care. Thoroughly confused with him taking the VCR back, blaming me for it, talking about divorce, and then, which he never did. I was always the one who brought it up. And then comes back and is impressing upon me that he stuck up for a black guy. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm so confused. The next day, I'm a nervous wreck. Anxiety is just all over me. I can't sit still. I'm at my job and I'm like, oh my God, I got to go for a ride. I go for a ride and I'm going to get my job and there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken on the corner of my job. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stop at the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so I stop at the Kentucky Fried Chicken and the Kentucky Fried Chicken was about a mile from the Sears. And part of me was going to go down to Sears and see if they had other VCRs. I was like, nope, I'm just going to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm going to get a chicken sandwich and I'm going to go back to work. And I worked like a stone's throw from Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I get my lunch. I'm coming out of the parking lot. I'm just a wreck all day because I have no idea what's going on. I really have no idea what is going on. So I'm coming out of the parking lot and it's a hill. It's a big hill. And this little old man is driving down the street and I have a clutch and I'm shaking and I wasn't shaking to the point where I was bucking the car but I was shaking and I'm trying to get off this hill that requires me to go up a hill and then come down a hill with a clutch and a very steep hill on both ends so I go up and I go to come down and the old guy just stops he just stops flat in front of me I hit him but I don't hit him that hard I tap him basically And he gets out of the car, he's popping heart medicine, I'm thinking, great, he's going to die and I'm going to be in jail for murder. And this cop comes along and he looks at me and he says to me, do you realize that your registration sticker is expired? And I went, oh my God, I didn't even know it. We'd been riding around with it. We just went to New York with it. I was like, oh my God. And that's all I can think about is... Suppose we had gotten stopped in New York and had gotten towed and I had three kids. That's all I could think of. So he says to me, is there somebody who can come and get you? Now, he didn't know that I work a stone's throw away. This is what the cop said. So I, he says, you know, we're going to have to impound the car. My husband had to go to work at three o'clock. My husband was still home. So I said, I can go in the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I could call my husband. He's still home and he'll come and get me. So I call him. This is what happened. The car registration's expired. I had no idea. They're going to tow it. You got to come over here. They're ready to impound the car. I think they're going to arrest me. I don't know what they're going to do because the car was in my name. So the old guy is still sitting on the curb, still popping pills. So my husband shows up. We lived like 15, 20 minutes from, from my job. So he shows up. He goes over. He starts talking to the cop. And I'm thinking, good, let him talk to the cop. Let him do his little narcissistic thing. Of course, I didn't have the words narcissistic. But I'm thinking he's going to charm him. He's going to talk to him. Maybe he's going to let me go. Cop comes over to me. He says to me, look, I know that I should have this car impounded, but I'm not going to because that's your husband. Okay. He's good, but I didn't realize he was that good. And I was like, what the hell did he say to him? And my husband's giving me that look, quiet, quiet, quiet. And I'm being quiet. This is all working in my favor. I am going to stop right here. But he's still looking at me, my husband. We're on the same side, which was good for me because I liked being on the same side. I liked when he thought that I was on the same side. The accident sort of wraps up. The cop says to me, get this car registered. Okay, okay. And I was going to be able to take my bike, ride my bike to work the next day or whatever it was. But I was, I swore up and down to the police officer. Yes, 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 officer. Yes, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it registered. I'm going to get it registered. I'm going to get it registered. He leaves. 
The old guy leaves. And I, I turned to my husband and I said, what did you say to him? He goes, I didn't really say anything. He's the guy from Sears last night. Oh my God. I went, the black guy? He goes, yeah. I said, did he have a uniform on last night? I said, no. He didn't have a uniform on. He had a uniform on. The guy, the sales guy would have come over, probably would have waited on him first. So his little civil rights outburst in Sears saved me from getting my car towed. And we went tralalaring long. He got the car registered and everything was normal. But that little capsule, the whole thing about we're not having this. I think we got the VCR back two weeks later again. I know that it wasn't a long time before we got the, the VCR back. I didn't understand what was going on. He kept me off my pins all the time. And that's just a little snapshot of how he would do it. I never knew if I was coming or going, but he never let me live down that accident. Never let me live down that accident. He brought it up every single fight we had and how he did this big defense of the police officer who he didn't even know was a police officer. He kept me out of jail. He kept my car from being impounded. He was the savior, blah, 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 blah. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Yes, let's all bow to you. You are just freaking terrific. So that's one of the stories. And when that episode, all those episodes, the VCR, the going to his parents, the going to Sears, the accident, the whole thing. When all that was over, I was just completely confused. I had no idea. I didn't know which end was up. And a few days later, I drove the car into a curb and smashed the front tire and had to call him again. And we didn't have cell phones then. So I had to walk someplace. I had to call him. I was in the middle of nowhere when I took that turn and I would get very anxious. And I remember one of the things that I learned in graduate school when I was doing my thesis on the grief of the adopted child was that one of the manifestations of grief is being disorganized, being clumsy, being accident prone, all those things. People used to say in my family that I was an accident waiting to happen. I was very, very clumsy as a kid. And when we would get into things like this, when I was an adult, I would get very accident prone then too. I did not get into as many accidents ever as I did when I was with my first husband. I was always driving into something. And I remember a few days after that accident, I wrecked a tire on the front because I just, I took a turn. I thought that the curb was actually flat and it's my eyesight. Worn glasses since I'm nine. It's not correctable to 2020. It cost me a position on the New York City Police Department. And they were much stricter about eyesight back then than they are now. Everybody, it seems, now has glasses. Every NYPD officer that I pass seems to have glasses. I really thought when I made that turn that what I was looking looking at was a flat thing on the ground and it actually had a curb and it actually took out my tire. So he was in rescue mode again and I was in doi 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 mode again. Such an idiot. I'm such a screw up. I'm such a this. I'm such a that. It was really hard for me that after we would go through these periods, I would become very, very accident prone. And I know that it's grief. It's disorganization. When I was a kid, we had bus passes. Every month you got a bus pass. You bought them in school. You would just flash it at the driver. It was much better than Metro cars that they have now. And in the morning, I would be losing my bus pass all the time. My mother would be screaming at me. What's wrong with you? Can't do it. My first marriage was exactly the same way. What did you do with this? I don't know. How did you get this thing in the car? I don't know. How did you run into that? I don't know. It was exactly the same thing. And it's like when somebody's yelling at you all the time and telling you what a screw up you are, and I talk about this in the affirmations. If you keep saying, I'm a screw up, I'm a screw up, I'm a screw up. You've got to be a screw up. Self-talk, self-talk, self-talk. But first it comes from outside. That's all they ever told me. 
When I was a kid, you're an accident waiting to happen. You're an accident waiting to happen. You're an accident waiting to happen. It would happen three or four times a day. I would drop milk. I would drop this. I would drop that. I was always breaking things. I was always walking in a wall. So I was always doing this. I was always doing that. And my first marriage was the same thing. And my ex-husband got to look great because I was just the hapless little wife who didn't really know what the hell it was she was doing. So anyway, and then when we separated, everybody thought that I was a crazy person. I hit him with a restraining order. They're like, him? He's so wonderful. He's so great. He's so nice. He's so this. What are you talking about? I was the crazy person. I know I was the crazy person. I know that people thought I was making things up about him and I wasn't. And when he wasn't interested in his kids, I would say, don't you care about your kids? How could you not ask about them? How could you not ask how they're doing? How could you not want to know what's going on in their lives? But that's what narcissists do. They don't care about the kids. They care about themselves. And he would say to me, oh, they don't call me. And I would say to him, you're their father. You're supposed to let them know that you love them. You're supposed to call them. Don't wait for them to call you. They're boys. It's like they want to know you love them. Please pick up the phone and call them. And he wouldn't do it. He just wouldn't do it. And then months would go by and then he'd call them and he would do to them what he would do to me. The abuser's remorse always started with, I was dreaming of you. When I was on my way out the door... And he hadn't spoken to me for weeks and weeks. And maybe we'd had a physical altercation. Maybe not. But I was done. I was ready to go. He would pull his, oh my God, I realize how much I love you. I was dreaming about you. And I would fall for it time and time again. I had to get into therapy and have a therapist say to me, don't listen to it. It's bullshit. Because it was bullshit. She was right. And I had to just listen to her. I had to just go no contact and stay no contact. And we had kids together. People say, I can't go no contact. We work together. We have kids together. No, you can. You can absolutely go no contact. Whether you have kids, whether you work together, whatever, you can do it. You just don't want to do it. Let's be honest about this. There are very modified forms of no contact. And you know what's contact and you know what's not contact. And right now I have boot campers who are still Facebook friends. And I'm like, everybody, by the end of boot camp, you better be fully NC. And I'm not even talking about the, your ex-partner being a narcissist. I'm talking about your ex being your ex-partner. NC, 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 NC. Anyway, okay. I hope that explains it a little more. I'm going to do more next week. And hopefully I don't have to do two different things. I've done a bunch of personality disorder podcasts. Go look at them. I'll try to find them. Mean Lady Talking is now going to have her own website. I'm so excited. I'm talking to web developers right now, trying to get it going. The workbook is almost ready. And the advanced affirmation material is almost ready. The power affirmations course is almost ready. And I hope that everybody's doing well. If you have questions, comments, please send them to me. Mean Lady Talking Podcast at gmail.com. Actually, you could send it to MeanLadyTalking at MeanLadyTalking.com. I have the email. The website is there, but nothing's there yet. But MeanLadyTalking.com will be going very soon. Right now, this is going to be on the Getting Past Your Breakup website. But uh, any questions, comments, I hope to have a bunch of audio stuff up, a bunch of interaction stuff. I want to do a, a Facebook Live so we're moving along, guys. So please rate and review, rate and review, rate and review. Thanks a lot. Talk to you all later. Take care, everybody. And remember, NCNCNCNC. Talk to you all soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.